Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Let's say you're single and in the dating world. You hop onto a dating app and check out profiles and photos of other singles. Based on that information, you form an idea of what that person is like. You decide to meet them, and oh man, was the profile wrong. You then use that info for weeding out future profiles and trying to figure out what's true and what's not. In a sense, scientists are doing something similar with computers and artificial intelligence to figure out how the brain works and how it compares ongoing experiences with expectations. But the theory doesn't come without controversy. summer, the artificial intelligence company DeepMind introduced new software that can take a single image of a few objects in a virtual room. Then, without human guidance, it can infer what the three-dimensional scene looks like from entirely new vantage points. The system's called the Generative Query Network, or GQN. And given just a handful of pictures, it can successfully model the layout of a simple video game style maze. That's caught the eye of neuroscientists who are particularly interested in the training algorithm it uses to learn how to perform its tasks. From the presented image, GQN generates predictions about what a scene should look like, where objects should be located, how shadows should fall against surfaces, which areas should be visible or hidden from certain perspectives. It uses the differences between those predictions and its actual observations to improve the accuracy of the predictions it will make in the future. One of the project's leaders says it's that difference between reality and prediction that let them update the model. Study co-author Danilo Rezenda of DeepMind says the algorithm changes its predictions in such a way that the next time it encounters that same situation, it's not as surprised. Mark Sprevac is a professor of philosophy of mind who specializes in the cognitive sciences at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. He says there are a few ways to look at this, including what's happening at DeepMind. One of those views is the idea that Cognition involves minimization of prediction error about sensory signals. So the job of cognition and all cognitive processes are kind of subserving this is to minimize prediction error about upcoming sensory experiences. Neuroscientists have long suspected that this kind of mechanism drives how the brain works. In fact, those speculations are part of what inspired the GQN team. According to this predictive coding theory, At each level of a cognitive process, the brain generates models or beliefs about what information it should be receiving from the level below it. These beliefs get translated into predictions about what should be experienced in a given situation. The predictions provide the best explanation of what's out there so that the experience will make sense. The predictions then get sent down as feedback to lower-level sensory regions of the brain. The brain compares its predictions with the actual sensory input it receives, explaining away differences or prediction errors by using its internal models to determine likely causes for the discrepancies. 
Think about it this way. We might have an internal model of a table as a flat surface supported by four legs. But we can still identify an object as a table, even if something else blocks half of it from view. The computer would identify an object blocking the way as a potential reason for seeing only half of a table. The prediction errors that can't be explained away get passed up through connections to higher levels as feed-forward signals rather than feedback. At these levels, they're considered newsworthy, something for the system to pay attention to and deal with accordingly. Neuroscientist Carl Friston of University College London says the idea is basically to suppress prediction error. Over the past decade, cognitive scientists, philosophers, and psychologists have taken up predictive coding as a compelling idea, especially for describing how perception works. They've also looked at it as a more ambitious, all-encompassing theory about what the entire brain is doing. Experimental tools have only recently made it possible to start directly testing specific mechanisms of the hypothesis. Some papers published in the past couple of years have provided striking evidence for the theory. Even so, it remains controversial. Some scientists wonder whether the landmark results are replicable. Cognitive scientists Marta Kutas and Stephen Hilliard of the University of California, San Diego, were banking on a pretty basic instinct in 1980 when they performed a series of experiments. They presented this sentence to people. I take coffee with cream and blank. They showed only one word at a time on a screen and recorded brain activity. The usual response to the blank in that statement would be sugar, right? I take coffee with cream and sugar. But instead of ending with sugar, when the last word popped into place, the sentence read, I take coffee with cream and dog. Wait, what? The researchers observed a greater brain response when the study's subjects came across the unexpected word dog. This is characterized by a specific pattern of electrical activity known as the N400 effect. It peaked about 400 milliseconds after the computer revealed the word. But how to interpret it remained unclear. Was the brain reacting because the word's meaning was nonsensical in the context of the sentence? Or was it reacting because the word was simply unanticipated, violating whatever predictions the brain had made about what to expect? In 2005, Kutas and her team conducted another study that pointed to the latter possibility, expectations. People again were asked to read a sentence, one word at a time, on a screen. The day was breezy, so the boy went outside to fly blank. Because a kite seems the most likely way to finish the sentence, the subjects expected to see the word a next. It's a word that has no intrinsic meaning, but does predict the word to follow. When the participants saw the word an instead, they experienced an N400 effect, seemingly because the brain had to process a mismatch between its expectation and reality. The effect was apparently unrelated to the meaning of the word or any difficulty in processing the presented stimulus itself. The 2005 findings seemed like a great fit for the predictive coding framework. But last spring, a paper published in eLife reported that several labs haven't been able to replicate the result. Other researchers have started to respond. Some claim that subtleties in the replication methods still favor the prediction-based interpretation. 
This back and forth reflects much of the debate that surrounded predictive coding. Experiments like this are subject to many interpretations. They can be explained by models other than predictive coding, and they fall short of definitive proof of the hypothesis because they don't delve into the actual mechanisms at play. The idea that the brain is constantly making inferences and comparing them to reality is fairly well established at this point. But proponents of predictive coding have been trying to find ways to prove that their particular version of the story is the right one and that it extends to all of cognition. The foundational insight that the brain perpetually makes and evaluates its own predictions about ongoing experiences hasn't always been taken for granted. The view of neuroscience that dominated the 20th century characterized the brain's function as that of a feature detector. It registers the presence of a stimulus, processes it, and then sends signals to produce a behavioral response. Activity in specific cells reflects the presence or absence of stimuli in the physical world. For instance, some neurons in the visual cortex respond to the edges of objects in view. Others fire to indicate the object's orientation, coloring, or shading. But the process turned out to be far less straightforward than it seemed. Further tests found that as the brain perceives, say, a longer and longer line, the detector neurons for lines stop firing, even though the line hasn't disappeared. And the fact that so much information seemed to be communicated through mysterious top-down feedback connections suggested that something else was going on. That's where Bayesian brain comes into play. It's a general framework with roots dating back to the 1860s that flips the traditional model on its head. The theory proposes that the brain makes probabilistic inferences about the world based on an internal model. It essentially calculates a best guess about how to interpret what it's perceiving. Here's Mark Sprevac again. The claim that what cognition is doing or what many cognitive processes are trying to do is to approximate Bayesian inference. And that turns out to be mathematically equivalent to minimizing prediction error. But it doesn't really tell you anything about the mechanisms, about how cognition operates. So it's really telling you about what you would say, what cognitive scientist David Marr described as the computational level description of the brain. It tells you what function the brain's computing. In line with the rules of Bayesian statistics, the brain quantifies the probability of an event based on relevant info gleaned from prior experiences. Rather than waiting for sensory information to drive cognition, the brain is always actively constructing hypotheses about how the world works and using them to explain experiences and fill in missing data. That's why some experts say we might think of perception as controlled hallucination. In that vein, the Bayesian brain also explains why visual illusions work. Think of two dots blinking in rapid alternation on a screen. They look like a single dot moving back and forth, so our brains unconsciously start to treat them like a single object. Understanding how objects move is a higher level type of knowledge, but it fundamentally influences how we perceive. The brain is simply filling in gaps in information, in this case about motion, to paint a picture that's not entirely accurate. But in spite of the clear role that generative models and expectations play in brain function, Sprevac says scientists have yet to pinpoint exactly how that's implemented at the level of neural circuits.
there are many, many different mechanisms by which a system might minimize prediction error. Now, the Bayesian brain story is relatively agnostic about what those mechanisms are. So it says it's just some form of Bayesian inference and there are like endless different mechanisms or algorithms for doing approximate Bayesian inference. What distinguishes predictive processing, at least in the versions that people like Carl Friston put forward, is that they ally this kind of computational level claim with a kind of a mechanisms or algorithm level claim. So they make a specific proposal about the mechanism or the algorithm by which the brain manages to minimize prediction error. So then you're sort of talking about what's inside the black box, what's going on to transform input to output. You're not just talking about the overall function computed. Predictive coding gets its name from a technique for transmitting telecommunication signals more efficiently. Video files contain a lot of redundancy from one frame to the next, so it's inefficient to encode every pixel in every image when compressing the data. Instead, it makes more sense to encode the differences between adjacent frames and then work backward to interpret the entire video. In 1982, scientists found that this idea has a neat application in neuroscience. It appears to explain how neurons in the retina encode information about a visual stimulus and transmit it along the optic nerve. It's also been cemented as a principle of how the brain's reward system works. Dopamine neurons encode the magnitude of the mismatch between an expected reward and the actual reward that's received. Researchers say these prediction errors help animals update their future expectations and drive decision-making. Despite these examples, scientists mostly saw predictive coding as a process specific to certain networks. But functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI tests, and other types of experiments have begun to change that. Part of what makes the predictive coding hypothesis so compelling is its incredible explanatory power. Andy Clark is a professor of logic and metaphysics at the University of Edinburgh and is an expert on the theory. The stuff that I have found convincing here is the way that so many things that are known and sometimes a few unknown effects all get explained under this sort of story. So some philosophers of science wonder whether that's a virtue or not a virtue. First, the theory unifies perception and motor control under a single computational process. The two are essentially opposite sides of the same coin. In each case, the brain minimizes prediction errors, but in different ways. With perception, it's the internal model that gets adjusted. With motor control, it's the actual environment. Philosophy professor Mark Sprevac says for the latter, imagine that you want to raise your hand. What's involved when you raise your arm is that your model predicts that your arm is going to be up and the arm is not up. So you get a big error signal um, coming back. The system has to do something to minimize prediction error. And what it could do is just adjust the model and say, oh, I actually, yeah. I should predict that the arm's not up, it's down, but it could, under certain circumstances, flip so that it sends a motor command such that your arm moves to the new location and it moves in such a way, guided way, so that it ends up at the location where you're predicting it is. That's another way in which the prediction error is minimized. Experiments in perception and motor control have so far provided the strongest evidence for predictive coding theory. 
For example, in a paper published last June in the Journal of Neuroscience, experimenters had subjects read the word kick on a screen. Then they had them listen to a distorted recording of the word pick that sounded like a loud whisper. Many heard kick instead, and fMRI scans revealed that the brain represented the initial K or P sound most strongly. That's the sound that correlated to a prediction error. If the brain were simply representing its perceptual experience, the strongest signal should have corresponded to ick instead, because that was represented both on screen and in the audio. Efforts are also ongoing to widen predictive coding's relevance beyond perception and motion, to establish it as the common currency of everything going on in the brain. Andy Clark, an expert on the theory, says it's not like predictive processing folks think the hippocampus is doing the same thing as the prefrontal cortex. It's kind of hard to know how to exactly assess this because, you know, there will be a mix of strategies. It's more like having building blocks from which different strategies actually can be built. Different brain regions simply trade in different kinds of prediction. Neuroscientists Carl Friston and others say this applies to higher cognitive processes, including attention and decision-making. Recent computational work on the prefrontal cortex has implicated predictive coding in working memory and goal-directed behaviors. Some researchers theorize that emotions and moods can be formulated in predictive coding terms. Emotions could be states the brain represents to minimize prediction error about internal signals like body temperature, heart rate, or blood pressure. If the brain recognizes that it's agitated, then it knows all those factors are going up. Most of the work being done in this area focuses on how predictive coding might explain neuropsychiatric and developmental disorders. Friston says the idea is that if our inference machine known as the brain goes wrong, it makes the same sort of mistake a statistician would make. It ends up making the wrong inferences by placing too much or too little emphasis on either predictions or prediction errors. For instance, Clark says aspects of autism might be characterized by an inability to ignore prediction errors relating to sensory signals at the lowest level of the brain's processing hierarchy. You know, the obvious stuff like the social impairments because some of the subtlest patterns are social patterns, but also stuff like uh, improvements in ability to find hidden figures, hidden geometric figures in meaningful spatial arrays some insensitivity to certain illusions, tendency to produce sort of repetitive behaviors. So a whole bunch of things that look like there's a question, why do they all go together? The reverse might be true in conditions that are associated with hallucinations, like schizophrenia. The brain may pay too much attention to its own predictions about what is going on, and not enough to sensory information that contradicts those predictions. But experts point out that autism and schizophrenia are much too complicated to be reduced to a single explanation or mechanism. Philip Corlett is a clinical neuroscientist at the Yale School of Medicine who's looked at hallucinations through the lens of the predictive model. I think the more profound part of it is that I think my work and other people's work in this sphere reminds us all of how vulnerable our mental function is and how near to hallucinations we are all of the time. Experiments in Corlett's lab set up new beliefs in healthy subjects that encourage them to hallucinate stimuli they previously experienced. 
For instance, in one experiment, the scientists conditioned participants to associate a tone with the visual pattern. The subjects continued to hear the tone when they saw the pattern, even when there was no sound at all. Corlett says researchers are trying to unravel how those beliefs translate into perception. That's one juncture where we've got some evidence that suggests that actually perception and cognition aren't really that separate, right? If I can teach you new information, new beliefs, and those new beliefs can change what you perceive, then that strict separation may be not as strict as it appears initially. Until now, that evidence hasn't come close to offering proof. Cognitive science specialist Mark Sprevac says part of the problem is there isn't really a set agreement as to what components predictive processing must include. It's kind of difficult to know how much the view has been vindicated. Often these pieces of experimental work show that a particular result is compatible with predictive processing, but they don't show that predictive processing is the best explanation of the result. So uh, there's a huge family of alternative models and predictive processing might be the flavor of the month, but the main thing is to show that it's better than any alternative. Georg Keller is a neuroscientist at the Friedrich Miescher Institute for Biomedical Research in Switzerland. He says the theory is widely accepted in the cognitive sciences. In the field of systems neuroscience, it's still a bit of an underdog. I mean, just to give you a flavor, we, we published a paper that showed that this is experience dependent. So the fact that if you grow up in a world where things don't couple to what you do, these mismatched neurons don't develop. We have a mechanism for it. We know what the cell types are that are involved. Their study in 2017 began with an accident. They set out to train mice on a video game, only to find that the virtual world had gotten its directions mixed up. Ordinarily, the mice saw their field of vision move to the right whenever they turned to the left and vice versa. But Keller says someone unintentionally flipped their virtual world. I always liken it to rotating your computer mouse 180 degrees and now suddenly the cursor goes the wrong way. The researchers realized that they could capitalize on the accident. Keller says they monitored the brain signals that represented this visual flow. Initially, the mouse knows that as it turns to the left, because that's how it grew up in the world, if it turns to the left, the world moves to the right. And early in learning, that's what we see. So on the first day of training, that's indeed the case. We see signals that are consistent with the mouse expecting to see visual flow to the right when it moves to the left. Now, because that's not what's happening, we've maliciously flipped left and right on the mouse. The mouse learns with time. It learns to control the video game because it actually does what we ask it to do. It runs to the end of a tunnel. But what happens in these signals is that they flip slowly with learning. So after training, the mouse has learned that if I move to the left and the world also moves to the left. So when it initiates a turn to the left after learning, the signals look like they are predictions of visual flow to the left. Basically, Keller and his colleagues observed the emergence of neurons in the visual system of mice that became predictive over time. Their findings appeared in the journal Neuron in 2017. If the signals had simply been sensory representation of the mouse's visual experience, they would have flipped immediately in the virtual world. If they had been motor signals, they wouldn't have flipped at all. Instead, Keller says it's about identifying prediction of visual flow given movement. 
Here's the University of Edinburgh's Andy Clark. What that's providing is a kind of evidence that just didn't exist before, which is this sort of very, very local, cell-by-cell, layer-by-layer kind of evidence that the best fit model for what's going on there seems to be a predictive coded model. Similar findings in the parts of the brain that monkeys use to process faces were reported around the same time. Previous work had already shown that neurons at lower levels in the network code for orientation-based aspects of a face by firing at, say, any face in profile. At higher levels, neurons represent the face more abstractly by paying attention to identity rather than position. Lucia Maloney, a researcher at the Max Planck Institute for Empirical Aesthetics in Frankfurt, Germany, says in the monkey study, the researchers trained the primates on pairs of faces. And then later on in the test, they created specific violations. You would show the same person, but with a different view. And you could say, well, if the predictions are coming from a higher area, then that higher area should suppress the lower area, right? The areas in the middle care for the mirror symmetry, but there is at the very bottom, they are very specific. So then the idea here is that if you have neurons that code for the identity, regardless of the view, then even if you show somebody who you have never seen, you should be able to predict that nonetheless. The researchers found prediction errors in lower level areas of the face processing network. But these errors were associated not with predictions about orientation, but with predictions about identity. In other words, the errors stemmed from what was going on at higher levels of the system, suggesting that lower levels construct the error signal by comparing incoming perceptions with predictions descending from higher levels. Maloney is looking at the same thing. Her group is collecting neuronal data from humans. She says they're starting to see results compatible with an explanation of prediction error. Not everyone agrees that the case for predictive coding in the brain is strengthening. Some scientists accept that the theory can explain certain aspects of cognition, but reject the idea that it could explain everything. Others won't concede even that much. David Heger is a professor of psychology at New York University. He says it's important to make a distinction between predictive coding, which he says is about transmitting information efficiently, and predictive processing, which he defines as prediction-making over time. My feeling is that there's a lot of confusion in this literature because these things have been sort of assumed to be all part of the same soup, and that's not necessarily the case, and it's also not necessarily the best way to go forward in studying it. For instance, other types of Bayesian models might provide a more accurate description of brain function under certain circumstances. What many experts in the field do agree on, though, is that this research has the potential for exciting applications in machine learning. Right now, the vast majority of artificial intelligence research doesn't involve predictive coding. Instead, it focuses on other types of algorithms. But neuroscientist Carl Friston argues that formulating predictive coding architecture in a deep learning context could bring machines closer to intelligence. DeepMind's GQN is a good example of that potential. And researchers at the University of Sussex even used virtual reality and artificial intelligence technologies that included predictive coding features to create what they called the hallucination machine back in 2017. The hallucination machine is a tool that can mimic hallucinations typically caused by psychedelic drugs. 
Machine learning advances could be used to provide new insights into what's happening in the brain by comparing how well predictive coding models perform against other techniques. At the very least, introducing predictive coding into artificial systems could improve the intelligence of those machines. But before that can happen, there's a lot of work ahead. Scientists need to continue the kind of research being done to determine just where the brain's internal representations reside. And we still don't know whether similar experiments can substantiate claims for predictive coding in higher cognitive processes. And hence my comparison to evolution. <laughs> That's Lars Mookley, a neurophysiologist at the University of Glasgow, who's done extensive work on the predictive coding theory. Predictive processing theory is as important as evolution. Theory is biology. These frameworks that are very good in explaining almost everything sometimes also have a bit of a flaw because evolutionary theory has a bit of the flaw that it is very difficult to make predictions. This is also a bit true for predictive processing. It is a very strong framework that gives a new explanation to pretty much everything in neuroscience and cognitive science, I think. But will there be a decisive experiment that shows it is only the one or the other? That is a bit more difficult. Or in the words of one scientist, the jury is still out. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Jordana Sapelowicz's full article, To Make Sense of the Present, Brains May Predict the Future, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Want to learn more about science? Check out the Quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, with its stories about untangling the mysteries of the universe. It's published by the MIT Press and available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore.